0: I just need to say this, when uh, Tim came up, I just, I wish I had his glasses, because he just, you know, connects them in the center when he comes up, it's so cool, uh, I, just, I, w- I need to get some of those, but uh, I had to say something about that, it's just I was like, man, that's awesome, what a cool guy. So, uh, we're going to be uh, opening up the book of Jonah, you can you can open your Bibles to Jonah today, uh, but be- before we get into the text, uh, I just want to uh, preface the sermon this way this morning, that uh, we are all afraid... Of something, aren't we? We're all afraid of something. We all have fears in our lives, and and there are some very strange fears in the world. So I did a little Google search this morning for uh, strange phobias, and I found some very interesting ones. I I don't know if I'm going to remember all the names of them, but but there was xenophobia. Anyone know what xenophobia is? It's the fear of the color yellow. So uh, I don't I don't actually see much yellow today. So um, we're good for xenophobes that, that we're going to be okay today. But uh, and the sun, flowers, anything yellow just, just causes fear. There's, there's nomophobia. You know what nomophobia is? It's the fear of being without mobile phone service. Uh, the, and, and so there's certain parts of the church here that if you're a nomophobe, you don't want to go there because you're not going to get service. Like in the back of the church, you're just not going to get it. But but it's nomophobia. There's, there's a, a classic one. Uh, I think it's a cl- chlorophobia, which is the fear of clowns. Everyone, right? We're all afraid of clowns. So, so we got we got tons of fears. John Madden was a uh, famous coach and then broadcaster, and he's famously known for, for being afraid of flying. And so, John Madden uh, drove his his Madden bus all over the country to get to Monday night football games every week for all those years because he was afraid of flying. I, I am afraid of brown recluse spiders in my house. I don't I don't think we have any, but I'm just afraid that there's gonna be one and that and it's gonna bite me one day. But but. Who knows? We're all afraid of something. We all have fears, and and those are those are funny ones. Those are those are maybe less trivial, but we all have legitimate, strong fears in our lives, and these fears really do control us, right? Just like John Madden is controlled by his fear of flying to need to go ride a bus. These fears that we have, they have this controlling influence on our lives. Well, the Bible says too instructions about fear really if you if you you just boil it all down to what are the two things the bible tells us about fear on the one hand scripture will say do not fear over and over and over again scripture calls us do not be afraid do not fear it's 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 one of the most repeated commands in all of scripture but then it has a it has an opposite the the bible says do not fear but then on, on the flip side the bible continually calls us to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord. So do not be afraid of all these things in the world, but do fear the Lord. And When, when it says to fear the Lord, what it's talking about is not necessarily being afraid of God, as if we were afraid He's going to hurt us or something like that, but but to fear Him in reverence, to fear Him in awe, to fear Him in love. It's a worshipful fear. It's a regard for who He is. And and the connection between those two things is worship. The, the, The reality is that the things we fear in this life reveal what we worship. The things we fear reveal our worship. Because because when we're fearing something, we're afraid that something is going to be taken away from us, right? We're afraid that something's threatening us. And whatever that thing that... That we're afraid of being threatened, that that becomes a controlling God in our lives. Whatever it is, that that becomes something that that if we let that fear dominate our hearts, then that becomes our functional God. But God says, "Don't fear these things. Don't be controlled by these fears. Fear the Lord. Worship the Lord. Have a reverence for the Lord in your life that that controls you and that you. we just saying that you can trust Him. You can trust Him. It's it's, it's the fear of the Lord that displaces these other fears. Well, this morning we're going to see both of these fears working themselves out in the story of Jonah. Uh, We're going to look at verses 7 through 16 today, and before we look at our verses, I just want to review with you where we've been in Jonah. We've we've had two weeks in this series, and and here's what we've seen in the book of Jonah. We, We have seen the Lord come to Jonah with a message, and here's what the message was. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's the message that God brought to Jonah. He said, get up, go to Nineveh, and preach judgment against them, because I see their evil. And what we saw is that in God telling Jonah to preach this message of judgment, what was God really doing for Nineveh? He was really offering them salvation from that judgment. He wasn't just saying, go announce judgment. He was saying, go tell them that I see their evil, that their evil deserves judgment, and call them out of it. Call them to repent. And what does Jonah do? Jonah says, I want nothing to do with that. I'm not going to Nineveh. Those people are evil. Those people are terrorists. Those people are our enemies. And so Jonah gets up and he runs the other way. He finds a boat going as far in the opposite direction of Nineveh as he can find, and he gets on that and he begins to flee. And we saw last week, what could God have let Jonah do? He could have let him run. The Lord could have let Jonah run. He could have found someone else to do the job. He could have let Jonah face the consequences for his decision to rebel against him. But what we realize is that the Lord not only wants to rescue Nineveh, the Lord wants to rescue Jonah. So he doesn't let him run, what does he do? The Lord sends a storm into his life. The Lord finds the boat and he sends a storm unlike any storm. A storm that makes these sailors that Jonah's with afraid. Jonah's not the only one on the boat. He, he got a boat that's being guided by these sailors and even though they're experienced on the water, this storm has them afraid. They start calling out to their gods. And what do their gods do? They do nothing they don't respond and so they begin getting all the cargo and hurling all the cargo overboard they're they're frantic they're trying to find a way to save themselves and then the captain of this boat realizes where's our mystery passenger where's where's our mystery passenger and so he goes down underneath and finds jonah sleeping on the bottom of the boat while they are trying to save themselves through the storm and they and he says how can you sleep don't you see that we're about to die get up Call out to your God. Maybe your God will save us. That's where, we, that's where we left off last week. As we saw, Jonah really doesn't do anything. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he does not call out to his God. And so that, that leads us to our passage today. And what I want to do this morning is just walk through this story before we then consider what the Lord's teaching us through this story. We're just going to look at the story, verses 7 through 16, and then we'll consider what God is teaching us. And so... Uh, Really, this story, we can see it in three parts. There there are three parts to the passage today. And the first in verses 7 through 10 is the revelation of Jonah's sin. Verses 7 through 10, the revelation of Jonah's sin. Read with me, beginning in Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Because he had told them. This is the revelation of Jonah's sin. Just picture the scene. The captain comes down to Jonah, says, We're about to die, arise, call out to your God. Jonah does nothing of the sort. Jonah does not call out to his God. He apparently joins them on the upper deck. But we don't get any hint that Jonah begins praying. Because for Jonah to pray would mean what? That he has to face the Lord, right? He's running from the Lord. So he's not praying. He's up on the deck, and and the, the storm is just getting worse. And the sailors, the sailors know they, they had this intuition that someone has done something, but no one is saying who who what they've done. So someone's hiding something. They, they, they realize that, and so they they resort to casting lots, which is an ancient way that, and we see even practiced in Israel that that people would look to their gods to give guidance about. Uh, something that they could not figure out on their own. It's just basically the equivalent for us is rolling the dice, right? But they're casting lots to see who is hiding something. Just imagine Jonah in, in this moment. I mean, this, this is his chance to say, guys, that won't be necessary. I need to tell you something. But Jonah does not do that. He stands there while they cast lots. You just imagine he's just, he's just hoping that this doesn't work. He's just hoping that they don't find him out. But the lots continue to, to fall, and finally, the final lot falls on Jonah. And so the questions start coming Who are you? What, what's your purpose here? Where are you from? What are you doing? Why are you on this boat? And so, so Jonah responds, this, and church, this is actually the first words of Jonah in the book. It's the first time we hear Jonah speak right here in verse 9. This is his response I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And in verse 10, we find out that he also told them he was fleeing from the Lord. And, and so the sailors essentially are, are like, wait, are you telling me that there is one true God and he made not only the land but the sea that we're on and, and, and that he's in control of this storm? and that you are running away from Him, and that you got on our boat to do it? What, what have you done? And, and, and they're terrified. They are terrified because all of a sudden they're being confronted with this reality that, that there's this God we know nothing about. He, you say controls everything, and he is, he is sending this storm because you have sinned, and we're implicated in it. And so they're terrified of this God. They are exceedingly afraid at this moment. And so this leads to the second part of the story in verses 11 through 12, Jonah's solution to the storm. We had the revelation of Jonah's sin, and now we see in 11 and 12 Jonah's solution to the storm. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me. That this great tempest has come upon you. So the sailors recognize we we need to figure out what to do here. The storm is just getting stronger and stronger. And so they, they look to Jonah and say, What do we need to do? What do we need to do to you? You're the one who has sinned. This is your God. Tell us what to do. And Jonah's solution is throw me in. Yeah. Throw me in the sea. Throw me overboard. The sins here on my account. So if you, if you get rid of me, the storm will go away. The commentators are split on what's going on with Jonah here. Like, is this is this an act of courageous sacrificial love? Throw me in and you'll be saved. Or is this just like a death wish for Jonah? Is he just he just doesn't care anymore? He's so hard to what's going on that he. He just he just says, just throw me in, I don't care. Maybe that'll work. You know, and, and really we we don't know exactly what is going on in his heart. We the author doesn't tell us, but but here's what we can say. This is Jonah's solution to the storm. But was this the only solution available to Jonah? No. Someone knew. <laughs> is that Josie? Uh, that's right, Josie. So so is this the only solution available to Jonah? No. It, 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 he had another option we know and jonah knew that the lord is a gracious god we know and jonah knew that the lord is a forgiving god jonah understood this about god and jonah could have listened to the captain in verse 6 and and risen up and called out to his god and he could have said guys here's what needs to happen i need to repent I need to turn back to the Lord. This is my sin, but God, my God's a forgiving God. He's not only the creator, he's, a, he's the forgiver, and so I need to turn back. But Jonah does not want to pray to God. Jonah does not want to call out to God. He is still running from God in the middle of this storm. And, and so the only solution he can think of is, is you got to get rid of me. If you guys want to live, you've got to get rid of me. Well, this leads to the third part of the story. Um, so the salvation of the sailors. So let's look at verses 13 through 16, the salvation of the sailors. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the sailors hear Jonah's master plan, throw me in, and they say, no way. We are not going to throw you into the sea. We are not going to kill you. We're not going to throw you overboard. There's got to be another way. And we see this, this contrast here already that the sailors are really acting more righteously, even though they're pagans, than Jonah, who's an unbeliever. that they, they have a better intuition about these things than Jonah does in this moment. He's so hard to the Lord. And so they they try as hard as they can to make it through the storm. But what does the Lord do? The storm gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And so they, they realize that, that they cannot row themselves out of this storm. They cannot save themselves. There's nothing they can do. And so, for the first time in their lives, these pagan sailors call out to the true God. In verse 14, they call out to the true God. They do what Jonah would not do, right? And they and they pray to him, and they have two requests of the Lord. First, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. What they're praying is, Lord, don't punish us for his sin. Don't punish us because this man has sinned. Let us not perish in the storm because of what's going on in Jonah's life. But then a second prayer. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you have done as it pleased you. They're saying, if, if, if somehow we are wrong about this, or, or somehow this is not the right thing to do, please don't hold us accountable for what we're about to do, because you are doing what pleases you. We're trying to our very best to get out of this storm, but you are making it stronger and stronger, and we recognize that, and so we pray, don't hold us accountable. Save us from the storm. Don't hold us responsible for throwing him overboard, because you've done as it pleased you. And so they they get Jonah, and they pick him up, and they hurl him into the ocean, and what happens? The storm immediately stops raging. The sea grows Calm. Maybe the sun starts shining. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but immediately the storm stops as they hurl Jonah into the sea. And what do they do? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You know, there are, again, Some commentators that are split on what's going on in verse 16. Some commentators don't think that we can go so far as to say that these men were converted to the Lord. But I just want to say, as I look at this story, as I look at verse 16, what else could it mean? I mean, what else could it mean but that these men came to know the true God? He is a rescuing God, and He is on a mission in this book, rescuing people who are worshiping other idols. And it says that they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they made sacrifices to Him, and they made vows to Him. These sailors have come to know the true God, and they are worshiping Him from the heart, and they are giving themselves to Him, and they are they're giving their lives to Him, and they are praising Him for the rescue He's accomplished. These men are not only saved from the storm, the sailors are saved from their sin to the Lord in this moment. I believe that's what God is showing us in verse 16. He saved these sailors. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They had reverence in their heart for the true God. And this brings us, now that we've gone through the story, to help we can see a theme that runs through these verses. And first I want you to see it in the sailors. And really jump back up to the beginning of the story in verse 5. When we are first introduced to these sailors, the storm comes, and what does it say? The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. That's where the story begins. These sailors are afraid, and they're crying out to all their gods who aren't listening to them. Skip down to verse 10. Jonah tells them who he is, tells them what he's done, and now they're exceedingly afraid. Now they're not just afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of the God of this storm. Now, now, now they're, they're terrified of what is going on with this God that they're just being introduced to that Jonah worships. But then as the story goes on in verse 16, that, that fear turns to exceeding fear, turns to they feared the Lord exceedingly. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They they are transformed from people who are afraid of the storm, calling out to their false gods, to people who have been saved from the storm and are fearing the Lord, reverencing God, worshiping God. Their fear has been replaced with fear of the Lord. Now in the meantime, where's Jonah in all this? Let's look back again at what he says in verse 9. I am a Hebrew... And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now this book is short. The author of Jonah is very, very intentional with his words. This is the first time Jonah speaks, and it is very significant that Jonah says what he says in the way he says it. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What is the first thing Jonah says about himself? He says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. What's the second thing he says about himself? I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. We're supposed to make something of that. That's not just, the the order there is important. This is the first words of Jonah, and the first thing he says about himself is not his identity as a God-fearer, but his identity as a Hebrew. And this is our first clue in the book as to what's going on in Jonah's life. Why is he running? What's going on? This is the first clue we get, is that that Jonah, in the most basic sense of his self-identity, is he is an Israelite. He is a Hebrew, not that he is a God-fearer. And this begins to make sense of Jonah. Why is he running? Well, think about it. Nineveh is Israel's enemy. God's sending him to preach judgment so that they might repent. What happens to Israel if Nineveh repents? That means that means they continue to succeed. That means that their empire continues to flourish. Meanwhile, Israel is in sin. Meanwhile, Israel has all these wicked kings that are turning away from the Lord. What's going to happen to Israel if they don't repent? So Jonah sees this unfolding, and, and you see, underlying all this, can you see it? There's this fear of what's going to happen if God saves Nineveh. What does that mean for Israel? He's a Hebrew. This is is the most basic thing about him. Yes, he fears the Lord, but that is subservient to the fact that he is a Hebrew. He is an Israelite. He has an allegiance to his people. This is his functional God. His people. His land. His safety. His protection. And then he fears the Lord. And, And that statement, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. When you know the story of Jonah, three weeks in, and you hear Jonah say, I fear the Lord. What's your response? It's totally empty, right? What do you mean you fear the Lord? You are running away from Him. You're not calling out to Him. You're rebelling against Him. You want nothing to do with Him. What do you mean you fear Him? And so we see these two contrasts. We see this this, this contrast between Jonah who says he fears the Lord, but but really, he's got a, a, a more functional identity and a more functional God in his life, and he's running away because he's afraid that that's, that's being threatened. And then we have these sailors who, who don't even know the Lord. They're crying out to their gods. They're afraid, but God transforms them, and he works in them so that they end up fearing him in the end. What's, what's going on? Where, where do we find ourselves in this story? That's really the question that we're asking, right? Where do we find ourselves in this story? We need to remember that as we read the book of Jonah, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. We are the runaways. We are the ones who are prone to wander. We are the ones who need God to do a rescue mission in our hearts because we are so prone to sin in our lives. Which means that what, what, what the author is telling us here is, why is Jonah running? Because Jonah has a worship problem. Why is Jonah fleeing? Because he does not fear the Lord. Because something else is dominating his life instead of the fear of the Lord. And so then we ask ourselves, if we're Jonah, that means that when we run, it's because we're not fearing the Lord. When we flee, it's because we are not reverencing God. We have a worship problem whenever we run from Him. And so, so we see our need in Jonah. right? We, we see that we, God is showing us our hearts and saying that, that you're not fearing the Lord as you ought. And that's why you're running. But but then we have the sailors. And what, what we see in the sailors is not just that God can save anybody, anytime, anyway, which He does. And that should encourage our hearts. But what we see in the sailors is that God takes people who are fearing something else and transforms them into people who fear Him. And that should give us hope as we look at them. We, we, we should be asking God I'm Jonah, I'm not fearing you like I should, but I see that you are birthing fear in these sailors, and so I want you to do in my life what you did in these sailors' lives. I I want you to come into into my heart and renew fear of you in me, just like you birthed fear of you in them. And so that, that leads us then, it drives us to ask this question of this story, what happened in the sailors' lives to create this fear of the Lord? How did they go from fearing the storm and calling out to their gods to fearing the Lord and sacrificing to Him? What was their experience? Because whatever they experienced is what we need to experience if we are going to fear the Lord as well. Well, two things happened to the sailors in this storm. First, the sailors were confronted with the absolute sovereignty of God. They were confronted with the absolute sovereignty of God. Just see a few examples of this in the passage. In verse 7, we saw that they resorted to casting lots, right? And and essentially this is a rolling of the die, and what does God do through this? He guides the lots to fall on Jonah. It's not just coincidence. Now at the time, they didn't know the Lord yet, and, and surely they thought that this, there's another God who's who's guiding this. But as we look at the text, and as they looked back at the story themselves, they would recognize that God guided the, the lot. That, that, the, that the Lord led it to fall on Jonah. Proverbs 16.33 testifies to this reality. This, this is the scope of the sovereignty of God Proverbs 16 says this, The law is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The law is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So think about that. Again, think think about rolling dice in our day. Every time we roll the dice, God's the one who is deciding what numbers are going to show. Now that that sounds very fatalistic. It sounds sounds like we don't have control of everything. And and there's mystery to this, but, but, but the point is, that nothing, even the smallest little detail in the universe is outside of God's control. So, so when you play Yahtzee, whoever wins, that was the Lord's decision, right? Now, I don't know how much of a stake in the game God has in Yahtzee, but but the decision's from the Lord. It, it, it goes down to the roll of the dice. It goes down to the casting of lots, and He's sovereign in that. Now, now look at what Jonah said in verse 9. Now, Jonah was not exactly evangelizing them, right? He's he's not calling them to worship the Lord. He's saying, I fear the Lord. But look what he says about the Lord. He says, he is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, for all the problems with Jonah, what he says here is true. This is who God is. He is the God of heaven, which means that He is the God who is not of the earth. He is a God who exists above the earth. He alone is eternal. He alone is not contingent on anything. He is King, and He made the sea and the dry land, which means that you could go to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, or you could go to the middle of Kansas, and it's all God's. It's all His. It all belongs to Him. Every part of the world is His domain. He is the king of it all. He's in control of it all. So so from the casting of the lot to the middle of the ocean to the storms He sends, God is absolutely sovereign over it all. Now look down at what the sailors finally recognize in verse 14. They're rowing, they're rowing, they're trying to get out of this storm. They can't do it, and they finally say, Lord, don't let us perish. Lord, don't hold us accountable. Why? Because you have done as it pleased you. Because you have done as it pleased you. Listen again to Psalm 115. by 115, I mean 135. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. These sailors were worshipping idols, these sailors were worshipping false gods, but they're confronted with the true God who, who does whatever He pleases. Think about that, whatever God wants to do, He does that thing. No one can come to God and say, wait a second, don't do that. I don't. I don't no one can come and say, not if I have something to do with it. God, Whatever He wants to do, that's what God does. He does whatever He pleases in heaven and on earth, on land and in the sea, in your life. He does whatever He pleases. He is absolutely sovereign, and the sailors are confronted with this reality, that there is a true God who is absolutely sovereign, who we cannot outwit, we cannot escape, we cannot control. All we can do is recognize His sovereignty and pray for His mercy. That's what they realize. That's what they're confronted with. Now at that point, they're not yet fearing the Lord the way that they need to fear the Lord. They're terrified of the Lord. They're looking to the Lord for mercy and for help. But they need to experience one other thing before they fear the Lord. And and, and this is the second thing they experience. They experience that the Lord is not only absolutely sovereign. The Lord is a God who saves. And specifically, He's a God who saves through sacrifice. God who saves through sacrifice. What they experienced that day was surely a mystery to them. They they pick Jonah up and they hurl him into the sea. They, they, they sacrifice Jonah's life so that they can save their own, and, and the Lord responds to that by calming the sea and saving them. And they recognize that God just saved us from the storm as as God's prophet said, hurl me into the sea. And what they experienced that day was the Lord's salvation, the Lord's mercy. They said, don't let us perish, and He didn't let them perish. They said, don't hold us accountable, and He didn't hold them accountable. They said, let the sea stop, and the sea stopped, and all happened when they sacrificed Jonah, when they threw Jonah overboard. Their fear of the Lord resulted from experiencing both the sovereignty of God and the salvation of God. When these two things came together, the response of their hearts was to fear the Lord and worship the Lord and sacrifice to the Lord. So so we're over here, we're like Jonah, we're asking asking God, what do you need to do in my life so that I have a greater fear of you? Here's what needs to happen. We need to be confronted with and grasp the sovereignty of God and the salvation of God through sacrifice. That's what needs to happen for us to fear the Lord as we ought. And, And church, we don't need to be in a storm on a boat about to die to experience those things. Because... We are confronted with these same realities in a much greater way through a much better Jonah. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is one of those stories that just shows you exactly what Jesus meant when He said that the whole Old Testament, all the Scriptures, is about Him. Because the story of Jonah almost makes no sense. It really doesn't make sense by itself. We need to see how it relates to Jesus, to understand what's going on in Jonah. Look at, Jonah or look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus is with his disciples. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats, so that the boat was already filling, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Does that story sound familiar to you at all? I mean, it's, just, it's the exact same scene, isn't it? A storm comes on this boat. The disciples are terrified. Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat while they're about to die. They come down, they w- say, how can you sleep? Wake up, don't you care that we're about to die? That's exactly like Jonah. It's the exact same scene. And, I, and I'm sure that's exactly why God, God intended it to be. That's exactly what the author in Mark wanted us to see. This is exactly like Jonah, except it's not, <laughs> right? Except it's not, because why was Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Because Jonah was running away from God. Why was Jesus sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Because Jesus had accepted the will of God. Jesus had embraced the will of the Father. Jesus had come to us to to accept the mission of God to us. Jonah was disobedient, but Jesus was obeying the Father perfectly. They're both asleep in the bottom of the boat. How else is it different? What did Jonah do when they called him to arise and call out to his God? He did nothing. He just stood there silent. He was trying to get away from God. What did Jesus do? Well, no, Jesus did not arise and call out to his God. What did Jesus do? He arose and he called out to the storm. And he said, peace, be still. And the storm ceased from its raging. And in that moment, the disciples were confronted with the fact that Jesus possesses the sovereignty of God. Jesus is the one who does whatever he pleases. Jesus can talk to a storm and have it stop with the words of his mouth. And at the same time, Jesus possesses the ability to rescue us. Jesus Jesus saves us. They they, they say, who is this? They go from being afraid to being filled with great fear in Jesus. They, they, They possess the fear of the Lord in this moment. Who is this one? And the answer is, this is the Son of God who came to rescue you, the Sovereign One. This is the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, who has come to earth to rescue you. But Jesus performs a much greater rescue than this, doesn't He? Turn forward a few pages to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10 verse 45, Jesus tells the disciples what His rescue mission was all about. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We don't know what was going on in Jonah's heart when he said, Throw me into the sea. He was thrown into the sea, and the Lord granted the sailor salvation in that moment through Jonah's sacrifice. But that's just a picture of something much greater, something much more magnificent. We know exactly what was going on in Jesus' mind when he willingly gave himself to be thrown into the storm that we deserve. Jonah sinned and a storm came into his life. We have sinned and we deserve the storm, right? We deserve the storm of God's judgment. We, that, that should be us, but Jesus says, throw me in. Jesus says, hurl me in, Lord. I'm going to take the judgment they deserve. Even though I am obeying you, I am righteous, I'm going to take the judgment that they deserve. I'm going to throw myself into the storms so that they can be saved. And he saves us through his own sacrifice. So here, here's the reality. This is who God is. This is the God of the Bible. He is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, who comes to earth to save us by sacrificing himself for our sins. Fear Him. Fear the Lord. Don't be afraid of all these things that threaten your life when you have a God who is absolutely sovereign and who saves you through sacrificing Himself for your sins. Fear this God. Trust this God. Reverence this God. So a few applications for us today along these lines. We we want to be people. We recognize that we have fears in our lives, and we recognize that what we need is to be moved from the fear of things in this world to the fear of the Lord. And we see how God does that in this passage and in the Psalms, and we see how God does that through the gospel. So, so just real practically, how how should we go forward in seeking people who fear the Lord more and fear the things in this world less? Well, well the first thing I want to, first application is to think about areas of sin in your life. Well, the, the next few things I'm going to say are just, it's just a process to walk through. Think about the areas of sin in your life. Where do you struggle? Where, where do you struggle to follow God? Where, do, where, where are you most tempted to run away from the Lord. And then most often we can we can then go another step and we can say what am i afraid of that's causing me to act that way? Many of our sins are related to our fears. And so 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 when i when i sin that way, when i don't obey God in that instance, what am i afraid of? Why am i running? What am I afraid is going to happen if I obey the Lord? Why how am I not trusting him? What what am I fearing? And then go down one level deeper and say what idol is underneath that fear? What idol is underneath that fear? So you you realize that 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 every time that this situation comes up, and you know what the Lord wants you to do. You don't do it. And so they say, well, why don't I do it? you realize, well, it's because I'm afraid that if I do, I'm going to lose this. I'm afraid that if I obey God or if I don't follow God, that this thing in my life is going to be threatened. And then you realize that thing's an idol. That thing's controlling me. This is what we see in Jonah's life, right? He he says he's a Hebrew. God calls him to go to Nineveh. Jonah disobeys. Why does he disobey? Because he fears what's going to happen to Israel if Nineveh repents. Why does, he, why does he fear that? Because he has made Israel's well-being and his well-being within Israel his idol. He's not trusting the Lord. And, and so you see the process there. What sins do you have? What fears lie underneath those sins? What idols lie underneath those fears? We can always trace our fears back to idols in our lives. And, and so then, here, here we are. You, you're there. You see your idols before you. You're asking God this whole time, help me, show me, show me my heart, my heart is deceitful, show me what's there. Where do you go now? Well, at this point, you begin, and just like Jesus taught us to pray, pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Listen, listen, there's a reason Jesus tells us to pray that prayer, because we do not naturally hallow the name of God. We don't wake up every day reverencing the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, being in awe of who He is. We need to come to Him and say, God, do this in me. Cause me to hallow Your name. And and you give that prayer to Him and then nourish your fear of the Lord. Nourish your fear of the Lord. And how do you do that? You, You remember the sovereignty of God and you remember the salvation of God. And don't leave one of those things out. Remember the greatness of God, and remember the goodness of God. Look at the fact that God is in control of all things, and look at the fact that He gave His Son for you. Look at these things together, and nourish your fear of the Lord through the gospel. Praying, God, hallowed be Your name. Don't Don't let these realities fall hard on my heart, but give me a soft heart to see and grasp and experience that You, who are absolutely in control of everything in my life, gave Your Son for my sins to save me to Yourself. Hallowed be your name. Repent of your idols. Repent of of all those things you fear that are displacing the fear of God and and fear Him because of what He's done for you, because of who He is. Nourish your fear of the Lord. As the music team comes up, just want to address a few different possible situations in this room. First, there are people in here who are, are just like sailors were at the beginning of the story. You actually don't know the Lord. You've never truly called out to the Lord. This morning I just want to reinforce what we've been saying to you, that, that, that there is one true God. He is the sovereign king of the world, and He is sovereign in your life. Whatever He does, He pleases. There is no escaping this God. There is no ignoring this God. This is the reality of, that we live in, in this world, that He is the true God, but this God has made a way for you to be saved. This God has made a way for you to to turn from your idols and turn from your sins and call out to Him and be rescued. He gave His Son for you on the cross. The sovereign God in Jesus Christ died for you. And so I just want to call you, if you don't know the Lord today, call out to Him, just like the sailors called out. That was the first time they called out to Him. So call out to Him today. Even as we sing, even as we pray, call out to the Lord. Now, 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 there's also some people in here who, who, as you read the story of Jonah, you're in a place in your life right now where you say, this is me. I am running from God, and I know it. And I just want to say to you today, don't be like Jonah and keep running. This is what the Lord says in Isaiah 55. Listen to what the Lord says to us here in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. If you are running from the Lord, if you know the Lord, but you're running from Him, today, turn back to Him. He is a compassionate God, and He will abundantly pardon you. And finally, I think there's probably people in this room who are reading the story and you're learning a lot but you don't really identify with Jonah right now, you're not, you don't know any areas in your life that you're actively running from God, here's what we need to recognize, is, is that if we don't nourish our fear of the Lord, we are setting ourselves up to run away from Him. Maybe right now you don't feel tempted to run from God. Maybe right now you, you, your relationship with God is, it feels good and, 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 you, and you, you seem like you're doing well. We don't nourish our fear of the Lord. We don't know what day we're going to wake up, and God is going to ask us to do something, and we will have something else that has displaced Him in our lives, and we will run in that moment. And so we need to be on guard, and we need to be warned and diligent to nourish our fear of the Lord every day of our lives. Truly, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And when we do that, let's not just remember that God gave Himself for us, let's remember the greatness of the God who gave himself for us. Absolutely sovereign, sacrificing himself for us. Right now, let's do that together. Let's let's nourish our fear of the Lord as we sing these songs together and give our hearts to him in worship. Let's stand together.